Hey, Deserving Listeners, today's episode is about mental health stigma, and particularly around men and fathers. I was on the Dad Challenge podcast again recently, and we talked about that. That's what they wanted to talk about with me. And so let's get to that interview right now. All right, everybody, here we are again, uh, Dad Challenge podcast, talking to Dr. Kirk Honda from Seattle. Psychology in Seattle has got a great podcast uh, that can help out a lot. Check him out. Uh, Dr. Kirk, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. As Christmas is approaching, and I, I, I wonder, too, in your practice and what you do, if you see this a lot, is we're really talking about mental health, anxiety, um, and these things that affect men. And I think a lot of times they affect them silently. And so we want to like uncover it today. We want to erase the stigma or try to destigmatize it a little bit and then to kind of dig into the professional side of it, like for what you deal with um, professionally, obviously. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So first off, because obviously we are a parenting podcast, one of the most important things I think we need to talk about and uncover first is how does mental health specifically, like let's talk about um, anxiety, panic, and um, depression. How does it affect marriage as you see it? From, from your professional perspective? Well, for depression, the, it can be uh, very difficult to deal with. You know, uh, we tend to look at depression like, oh, you know, you're just kind of down. If you've lived with depression yourself or lived with someone who's chronically depressed, it is a major issue in one's life. Okay. It's hard to get up in the morning. Everything has a dark cloud around it. <clears throat> Uh, you don't enjoy things that you used to enjoy and like even going to the movies or watching football or having sex, set people's sex drive will usually completely dry up. Wow. Um, and you might sleep a lot. You might eat a lot more. You might eat a lot less depending. You might sleep a lot less depending mm-hmm. cranky, you know, parenting wise it's because parenting requires a lot of, lot of energy. You've got to, mm-hmm. okay, I got to put on my dad face. I got to put on my dad voice. I got to get in there and, you know, control myself. And when you're depressed, it's very, very hard to get up that motivation. And you just start falling into certain ruts where you just depend on the other parent to do all the, all the things. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people... Uh, don't even know that they're depressed or they don't know where to turn or they they're because that's the catch 22 in order to get better from depression you have to have motivation to get better from depression right Hmm. so that can be really hard and you might even be thinking about suicide a lot of medications don't really work um -hmm. it can be really rough for sure uh anxiety uh, go ahead sorry go ahead no go ahead well anxiety is quite a different thing right so Sometimes people can be very depressed from their anxiety, but if we're just talking about pure anxiety, it can, you know, come in many different forms: generalized anxiety, panic. Some people mm-hmm. consider PTSD to be a form of anxiety, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah, irritability, scared, difficulty coping, irritable, being short with people around you, and we stigmatize mental conditions, and we stigmatize people going to get help. And particularly for men, it's well known, we've been researching this for decades, that men seek help less often. People, uh, even when they're known to have problems, people don't really suggest that they go to get help as often. Mm -hmm. And subsequently, there's a lot of men, a lot of dads out there suffering in silence without any knowledge that they can even get any better. Is it true that... 
um, men are more susceptible to suicide because of uh, due to their depression and anxiety and their mental health. Like guys will are way not more susceptible, but the numbers say that men are more apt to commit suicide based on these these problems, right? Yeah, the data shows that men are much more likely to complete suicide than women are. It's, I can't remember the exact stat, but it's it's by quite a lot. Uh, wow. I think something mm-hmm. like four times more likely or something to kill themselves. It's unknown exactly what the reasons for that is, but according to the data, the research, the speculation is that stigma around mm-hmm. mental conditions and getting help is definitely a factor. Also, stigma around just men asking for help in general. You mm-hmm. know, Men are taught to be independent. They're taught to uh, not ask for help, not to complain, not to whine. And so they just suffer in silence when they have a, a lot of needs and and they're not um, getting any help that they deserve. It's, yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, you'd be made to think that uh, while well, well developing, while well growing up, that that would be uh, a, a weak a weak side to come from because, in fact, asking for help and then talking about the things that are bothering you actually takes a lot of mental toughness, a lot of uh, bravery, and, and we need to remind people of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, one of the scariest things that... I can do is while I go to a movie theater and watch a Pixar movie and crying openly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I'm like, Oh God, I hope no one looks over at me. Cause I, I'm, I'm tearing up here and I, I'm too afraid it's, to it's have a major source that. of anxiety. Yeah. Even at home with my wife, we were watching toy story three the other day when he starts playing with those toys with that little girl in the yard, yeah. dude, no, it doesn't matter. I'm like, yeah, I know. And, and my wife will still, and, and you know what? I, I, I'm not saying that wives like to see the emotion, but at the same time, like, are you crying? They'll say it. <laughs> and you're like, no, but you're like, you're totally crying. I, and, and what I'll do, I, I, I want to cry, yeah. but I try to hold it in so much. It almost hurts me more. Like yeah, it hurts throat. my throat, my chest, just trying not to cry. I just let it go. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's you weird. You ever have a Why? moment, and maybe you did do Dr. Kirk, Dr. Kirk, if you have a moment where sometimes you just need to cry, I know that it's more of a, wo- a woman thing to say that, but some days I'll be just listening to something on the radio or in the car, and I'm like, I think I need to cry, and I just I just need to do it. <laughs> maybe maybe there just needs to be a moment where we just do that and just go for it. Yeah, good for you for noticing that, yeah. I mean, it, it's human to cry. It's inhuman to hold back in the same way that it'd be inhuman to hold back laughter or a sneeze or or urination or something. It's like (laughs) uh, it's all part of the natural human process. And to uh, to subdue that and hold it back, it can't be healthy. Sometimes your eyes got to go for a whiz. Sometimes they got to take a piss, bro. <laughs> That's and right. I, 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 for me, I, I, this, this is what bothers me the most is that am I – I'm hoping I'm not. Maybe, Jeff, you can talk to this. Your kids are a little older too. Am I imparting that on my boys by saying don't be a pussy, don't do this? Because I, I, mm. I look back and maybe I do. And I'm like without even realizing that I'm doing that to them as well. Like we need to figure out how to – like I know schools are good at like you know release the emotion and blah 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 and be and be but a lot of people are like oh now you're effeminate it's like who cares like just how do I stop myself from telling pushing my kids down the same path Jeff do you have an answer to that I I, I don't know if I have an answer but I do have a situation so one of our episodes is called Jeff Ugly Cries because I admitted to watching a movie <laughs> where I I couldn't like I was choking the whole time it It was the shack oh yeah i haven't seen Uh, it and it's about forgiveness and and it just it killed me and um uh i think 
the kids were watching, or it might have been another movie. But anyways, I remember once Thatcher saw me and I was okay. crying. Uh, and he said, are, are you crying? Like he kind of like was shocked almost. Yeah. Right. And I didn't, I didn't try to hide it. I actually, I actually just said, yeah, I am. I said, this makes me sad. I said, I think of you guys, I think of my family. Yeah. And I said, this affects me. And yeah, yeah, that's the answer. So I'm maybe that's the answer. <laughs> Cry in front of your kids. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't make it up. I mean, it's got to happen organically, <laughs> no, <it> naturally. But <laughs> if you have to, do it. No, you're right. Cut I think some onions. I, I, I can specifically remember growing up and I can, of all the friends I had, there's that one friend, dad, that would didn't that unabashedly cried, didn't care. Really? Yeah, there was. I, I don't, don't I remember him. Really? And he just didn't care. It's just like, and I was like, I actually kind of liked him more than most. Hmm. So maybe the stigma is wrong, and we're just not paying attention to it. I don't know. Well, I'm sh- the stigma is definitely wrong. Yeah. Well, you're right. Yes. <laughs> it's not. Uh, it, it's not right by any means. I mean, we shouldn't be judging anybody for their emotions, especially if they're real, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, that leads into this, then, Doctor Kirk. So when 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 a dude is struggling and the stigma is there, and we again we're struggling not to cry because we feel like we're not supposed to or whatever it is, um, how do we recognize? some of the red flags and early warning signs of like depression. Um, I know like, I can talk about my story with anxiety in a minute, um, but it took a little while to get there, but specifically the depression part where what are some things that we don't actually realize are early warning signs or red flags of depression? Yeah, there's a lot. It depends on the person. The classic signs are sleeping more or sleeping less, mm-hmm. eating more or eating less, more irritability, <laughs> Uh, again, not enjoying what you normally like to do. Like some people will say that like a, a classic deep depression is people will just be laying on the couch and they have to go to the bathroom and they won't even get up to go to the bathroom because they know they have to, or they know they have to get up and, you know, take the pizza box to the garbage and they, they just can't mm-hmm. seem to motivate themselves in their head. They're like, I need to do this, but they just can't get the, whatever it takes to get up off the couch and, and do those things, let alone oh. going to work or calling up a and friend. Some people see that as laziness. Some might shove that off or a sure. spouse might shove that off and say, you're just being lazy. Right. And that, uh, if that's, it leads to conflict and rejection, then that just leads to more reasons to be depressed. Yeah just keeps snowballing. So so the symptoms sometimes uh, feed the depression. Absolutely. It's a total catch 22. It's, it's really awful for people who suffer from chronic depression. That's balls. Yeah. Dude, that's, 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 that actually sucks to hear. Where do you find the motivation then? I mean, obviously if you have things in your life that would motivate you, but that's so hard. Is it a chemical imbalance though? Is it something you can't help? Well, there's a lot of different reasons. And the short answer is we don't know anything about the brain well enough to answer that question. But my estimation based on the research is that there are, um, and this is nothing new, but there are two kinds of, two main kinds of depression. And there's a spectrum in between. One is, is uh, the classic, you know, chemical imbalance, quote unquote, meaning Mm -hmm. that, Regardless of your circumstances, you will just have a tendency to be chronically depressed, and it's a biological mm-hmm. disorder. And there is pretty strong evidence that for some people, they have that. Runs in families, even for people right. who are adopted into other families, they retain that genetic disposition. Hmm. So they weren't raised wow, okay. by a depressive person, you know. Um, and there's the other end of the spectrum is situational, in that your life is not going quite right. You're, you don't like your job or you got fired or you got, went through a divorce or your relationship is bad or 
you're overweight and you don't like it, or you mm-hmm. um, you you have back pain and you you know you're just like I'm going to live with this back pain for the rest of my life. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of different reasons can lead to demoralization and thus ongoing depression. I think uh, I struggled. I'll tell you a little bit. Of, I'll tell you a couple of stories for me. So when I turned thirty. Um, I remember driving. I was working for this company. I was erasing graffiti. It was a cool job. I liked it. Um, But something happened. I felt like I was having a heart attack. And I'm like, what the heck is happening? And I didn't know. I've never experienced something like this before. Um, Went to the hospital. uh, Didn't know what to expect. And he's like, yeah, dude, you think you have anxiety? (laughs) I was like, what? What? After 30 years old. Now, that was was an acute case, though. And and that's that's, – would you say that, Dr. Kirk? Sometimes mental health issues – like every – uh, here, I'm going to say because when I'm uh, at work, we've we've yep. learned about it, right? They yep. they really want firefighters to be aware of your mental health, yep. and they're saying that everybody's kind of on a sliding scale during the day. You can kind of be in and out of uh, uh, different parts of depression or anxiety or things like that, right? So you can have acute onset due to like Dr. Kirk was saying circumstances. Yep. So it sounds like that. So you don't suffer though with chronic uh, anxiety. Anxiety. No, but I did. So this is what oh, happened okay. when I turned thirty. Yeah, so going on. So that was the first case that it started. Oh. And then um, then it just it kept happening, kept happening, mm. kept happening. S- someone said at one point, I, n- I remember getting a tick bite at, at an airport once when I was cleaning the airport with the graffiti crew. And someone said, you might have like Lyme disease and mm. that can cause anxiety. I don't know. But anyway, ever since that, I just thought that's what's the issue. Anyway, so I lived with anxiety. So you have anxiety over I, Lyme disease? I don't know. <laughs> because I, you think maybe you might it was Lyme what disease. it was. Yeah, because I'm very, very in my head about these types of things. So I just lived with it for until I, the doctor gave me lorazepam, which is a game changer. It changed my life. But I hate taking drugs. Hmm. I don't want to be relying on drugs. And I toured with my band. And I had to take drugs. I had to take sleeping pills to sleep. This was for like three years of my life. And then I finally went, to, and maybe I don't know, Dr. Kirk, if you would tell someone to do this, but I finally went to a naturopathic doctor, and I did not believe in that trash. I was not the yogurt and granola guy who believed in that, but I had no other options. And she gave me uh, arsenic. She gave me a micro dose of arsenic, and the anxiety was gone in two weeks. Interesting. Um, yeah, so there's a lot to say about that. That was a sweet pause. So, <laughs> that was a great pause. Well, I wasn't sure if you were telling with the story. So, Maybe it's all in my head. So you, I thought I was going to hear footsteps in a door close. <laughs> so you, well, so you, guys you are, haven't had panic since then. Is that what I'm hearing? No, I mean, once that was finally out after about, I think, fully six weeks before I just had any more I didn't need to take my meds anymore. I didn't have anxiety flowing. It has come back in spikes here and there as life gets busy and stressful, but never like it was ever. Never like that. Yeah. Um, as I'm getting older now, I'm seeing it come creeping back a little bit more. But yeah, never like that. Well, I'm not a medical professional, so uh, take everything I say with that in mind. I, uh, as a mental health professional, I've certainly treated a lot of yeah. people with anxiety and, and other things and worked side by side with medical professionals so I can... And I've taken a lot of medical courses, so I can speak a little bit about it, but keep all that in mind as I'm about to say this. Yep. So what you suffer from, it sounds like a classic panic attack. It's hard for me to tell just based on that little bit, but it sounds like a classic panic attack, which is associated with panic disorder. It's not uncommon Mm -hmm. for people to have their first panic attack in their adult life. 30 is a little old, but not unheard of. Um, I had my first panic attack when I was 19, I think. And I okay. I had occasional panic uh, uh, attacks as well. When I entered grad school and studied uh, mental health, I, we mm-hmm. came to the chapter on panic disorder. And I, for the first time, was like, oh, that's what I had. 
And okay. knowing that and knowing how to treat it, I just basically self-treated myself and haven't had a panic attack since, really. So understanding it helped you overcome it. Absolutely. Uh, panic disorder, wow. well, really any anxiety disorder, the, one of the main uh, cures is to understand it because you thought you were having a panic. You thought you were having a heart attack the first time, yes. which is yep. a good reason to panic. And <laughs> if it feels yeah. – and panic attacks can very much feel like a heart attack. And the thing yeah. is, is that we go into a fight or flight response and our brain – certain regions of the brain that allow us to think logically go um, offline. And inner brain functions such as terror and fear and amygdala responses are still in full effect. And so we have no ability in those situations to calm ourselves down and we – we go into a full, you know, cascade panic, and uh, we start to, you know, think strange things. The very common conclusions is I'm having yes. I'm having a heart attack or I'm going crazy. Did you ever think you were going crazy? I, oh man, I can't even tell you the amount of time my wife thought I was going crazy. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I just I, it's the mo- it's the scariest thing in the world, especially because I was overweight. I wanted to touch on that too because. I think part of I didn't I don't really have depression I don't think to a level maybe a slight bit because I was severely overweight for most of my life um, like in up, upwards of three hundred pounds at some time and I remember just being super unhappy about that for a long time but just living with it because I was still athletic and I still was like I was a I was an athletic fat guy those guys are don't mess with those guys but those um, guys. after losing all the weight and you know making the choice to do the surgery and stuff that helped me get to where I am like way better in life. Like I, I wanted to touch on overweight because I think a lot of the dads that listen to our podcasts probably are in that situation where they're not happy with their weight, not happy with what the, maybe the money they make or whatever it is. But weight specifically for me was I know a huge trigger for being unhappy, like massively, ma- probably diet uh, in tandem with that was probably another reason. But being overweight was massive hit for me for sure. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, Obviously, social stigma around body issues is mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, there's a lot of messages out there that if you just work hard, you'll lose the weight. You know, if you just had willpower, if you just really put your mind to it. Um, all the magazines, you know, I lost 30 pounds mm-hmm. in, in three days and blah, blah. And yep. it gives this impression that it's, you know, that there's something wrong with you if if you haven't been successful. If you can't do it yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah, the data true. shows that um, there's something really quite strange about you if you manage to lose weight, actually, um, because it's so much out of the norm. And it's not just the United States or Canada. It's um, mm-hmm. any uh, – several countries around that. You know, it's associated with the, the United States, but uh, data shows mm-hmm. it's all over the world, really. So, really? yeah. Yeah. I didn't know oh, that. Yeah. Uh, That's cool. Wow. <laughs> uh, cool that, you know, we're not – alone, but bad that we're essentially um, the tip of the iceberg, I guess, in terms of the, or the tip of the spear, I guess, in terms of the trends of health around the world. Yeah. I, I, th- I think cool was the wrong. I, I think why I said that was actually not, not to be like obesely overweight to, 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 um, to the point of a health concern. I just meant, it seems like even people who, you know, wouldn't be, uh, uh, largely overweight, but are, you know, have a little bit extra weight, like normal human beings seem to have, yep. they seem to be unhappy with themselves too. I think of, uh, like even my own relationship, like Trish is not overweight by any means, but she's never seems to be, you know, completely satisfied, right. Mm-hmm. With, uh, with herself. And I'm always saying, you know, you look, you look like a woman, you look fantastic. Yeah. Like you don't need to look 
like an airbrushed magazine, right? Yeah. So, but it's just interesting that you put all this stress and effort and and uh, mental uh, and physical uh, effort into trying to change yourself yeah. even by ten pounds, and and I, I, I it's actually out of the norm. You're onto to something here because it. dudes specific. Maybe this is maybe I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor Kirk, but dudes. Instead of looking at a magazine and wanting to be that way, although I'm sure there's a little bit of that, it wasn't much for me. It was more about like being – I just didn't want to be fat anymore. I wanted to wear clothes and maybe look good. But I think the – when women – do you think – sorry, I'm going to rephrase this. Do women struggle with depression differently than men do? Is it about the same thing? Or are men struggling because they – it's a money issue or they have to, they, they have a different role in the world. And this whole, this whole gender theory is, is going to change that. Uh, the, it's a hard question to answer, but I mean, in brief, in brief, but the experience of depression is, um, if not similar, the same when it comes to gender, okay. uh, the reasons to become depressed probably are different depending on your cultural pocket. Uh, for mm-hmm. sure. Women who are being, you know, women's body issues are going to be way more impactful in general than than for men. Uh, men's mm-hmm. job status in general is going to be mm-hmm. more impactful. Uh, mm-hmm. But the experience of depression, you know, the lack of motivation, the sitting on the couch, just staring at Netflix and not even really enjoying what you're watching, the demoralization, it's universal. Part of the reason we wanted to do this uh, this talk now is just because the holidays are coming up, and we know, like you hear about seasonal affective disorder. Is that the right yep. uh, the right wording for it? But it, so you hear about you know people get the winter blues, but then you also hear about uh, with the holidays coming up too. Like, are those two things the same, or are they? Do they combine, or are they different? I, I mean, I don't even know. It's it's blurred lines for me in that way. So there's a lot of myths about this, um, even in my yeah. field, that people get depressed over the holidays more likely. They're more likely to kill themselves, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's not exactly true, or at least the effect isn't as strong as people uh, state it to be. There's a thing called seasonal affective disorder, or in the DSM, it's worded a little differently, but I won't bore you with that. But it essentially has to do with your moods are dependent on the seasons. And some people actually get depressed in the summer. The only criteria uh, is that your depressive cycles seem to match up with the seasons. It doesn't have to be depressed during the winter. Having said Mm -hmm. that, there seems to be some effect of living in latitudes farther away from the equator, uh, either direction, that makes us more susceptible to depression in general, let alone um, seasonal effects of, of depression. Yeah, really? There's a lot of theories and research that go into this, and it seems like it, 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 it's different for different people. But for some people, it's the issue of vitamin D, of light. So the yeah, sun. They wow. don't get, so when you expose them to – when you give them artificial light and vitamin D, they're less likely to become depressed during the winter months or in the – do you find people that live closer to, like, let's say, Florida, down in Mexico, those areas? And they, I mean, that, that must be easily attained. Is that the closer you get to where the warmth is, there's less depression? You're saying that's well, the closer that's to the equator. It's the equator. Like, I mean, I remember going to Kenya, and these people live like the poorest people on earth. And I, that just struck me that you said that because Kenya's on the equator, right? Literally, you can walk to the equator, and there's like a sign. It's like, here, take a picture of the equator. Anyway. 
He's selfie with the equator. But <laughs> I, even though everybody was super poor, no joke, this just hit me right now. They seemed really happy. Yeah. Nobody seemed like they were like sad and moping about and like, that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, two things here. One is, is that people in Florida are very similarly in terms of their rates of depression to say Seattle or um, where you, where okay. you guys are in the. That's because they're really old, dude. <laughs> it's, it's just that <laughs> there, for some people, there's some. Uh, variance based on seasons. Like I said, it doesn't have to necessarily be the winter. So there's a bit of a okay. myth out there that like people in, in Seattle are depressed in the rain, you know, and Nirvana and all this stuff. And then you have like people in sunny California and <laughs> San Diego, and they're never depressed. The, the, the data does not show that. Doesn't now, okay, doesn't when, we, show. when okay. it comes to Kenya and other societies like that, they actually do. I don't know about Kenya specifically. I'd have to look at the data, but um, mm. a lot of countries that are generally a lot more poor and um, less technologically advanced, this kind of thing. We tend to see lower rates of mental illness in general and depression, anxiety included. And because they have support. Well, yeah. So community through the community. So that's, well, that's the, we don't know exactly why, because again, it's hard for us to figure causality, but a good speculation is that our society in North America is such that, uh, we think we're actually heading into the future, you know, better gadgets, more convenience, bigger homes. Uh, we all get our own car. Uh, we get to work at home. We get our own computer. We get our own TV. Mm-hmm. We think this is progress because it feels more convenient, but it actually, in the end, has these global effects that make us more isolated, less contact with our humans, less contact with our family members. Whereas That's so living in more traditional human contexts, you're within your family members, you know, earshot 24-7. And although it's kind of annoying sometimes because you want your own sort of alone time at times and they annoy you sometimes, it actually overall is a more natural state for humans. Man, that's so old. I, dude, we need to go talk to the Mennonites. Again, we keep saying we're talking <laughs> Mennonites. I know Mennonites specifically where we live. There's hundreds and thousands of Mennonites, and they live like that. Their communities, they are. They spend. They eat together. They work together. They 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 drive everywhere together. They spend all their time together. I would love to see. Well, I mean, they probably don't go see psychologists either, or it's hard to probably track their type of. That's really, really, really interesting. So Makes we're sense, we're though. we're it does make sense because even in bed when I'm sitting there with my we're both on our phones. We're not really interacting. I'm not saying we're depressed or anything, but does that that makes a ton of sense. Well, mm-hmm. so maybe the answer is not might have indeed. Maybe the answer is ditch all the crap yeah. that's isolating you and see if that changes anything. Yes. Have you ever have you ever told someone to come into your office that has depression? I want you to ditch every form of social media, social media, phones, technology that you can in order to survive and see what happens in thirty days. Has that ever happened? Yeah. I mean, I don't. It's up to them and. It's hard to control such things from yeah. clients sometimes, but definitely looking at that and uh, emphasizing, again, particularly for men, because they're taught that this isn't something that they need, for them to notice their needs. You guys started a podcast, not to twiddle your thumbs in a room by yourself, but to interact with each other. You guys are friends mm-hmm. and you interview other people. And, um, you know, when you started out, it's like, uh, this is a this is what I'm going to do with my extra time, and it's going to be this mm. this extra thing in terms of what I do after my work week. Why did you do that? Well, I'm guessing because you noticed in your heart that 
it was healthy to interact and talk about important things, you know, um, and connect and be around other human beings. Yeah, yeah. we're we're actually we constantly say that that this is uh, it's therapy for us. So, uh, so good. So yeah. then there's a good leeway. So yeah. then, if someone struggles with depression or doesn't know it, or is, maybe they're listening to this for a time and saying, "Oh my goodness, I think that's me." Therapy does help, right? Like I know talking about things does help. All that stuff does help. Is like when it comes to depression, is meeting weekly with somebody really, really, really helpful? Like, is it like true? I know you're a doctor and you, this is how you make your living. But even but a friend, even a friend or somebody, is that really going to help? Because that alludes to the community aspect where you're actually connected to somebody. Yeah, it depends. I've treated a lot of people with depression, and for uh, and I can remember a handful of clients off the top of my head who. I worked with them for years, and it could be argued that they were just as depressed at the end as, as they were at the beginning. So, it, it can it can be extremely tough to um, change. Mm-hmm. Again, that's probably more the biological type of depression that is what we call treatment resistant, and um, and oh. it just uh, it persists regardless of you know what you throw at it, no matter how much skills you learn or how connected you are what pills you take or how much exercise you do or the diet you have or whatever. Um, but with other people, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the, cause a lot of people don't want to take medication. Um, it's just one of those things. Yeah. I was that guy. And medication, uh, research shows is only effective for a very small, uh, percentage of people. Um, uh, beyond yep. placebo. And so we have this notion that it's like, well, you're depressed, take an antidepressant. Um, the chance of that working is actually not very high. So you've got wow. to try a lot of things. And most of the things that one can try does not involve taking any kind of medication and, and is involved in some okay. kind of um, trial and error process that you do uh, with a therapist. Okay. Or, you know, you can do it yourself if you look up the tips online as well. That's really good advice. And I, I feel like it, sh- it should almost be restated. Like if you're, if you're against taking medication, I almost feel like sometimes stigma comes out. Oh, I don't want to go in and get told that I have depression because I don't want to be taking medication for the rest of my life. Um, so that's good to know that, Hey, if you're going to seek help, you may not be told to take medication. There's yeah, a bunch of other things to try first. So. A pill is not always going to be the answer. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. And now I, can ahead. I, I just wanted to ask a question about the, the, uh, um, treatment resistant, uh, depression you're mm-hmm. saying. Um, it kind of sounds like, well, it's, it's hopeless then, but would, would you say that if, if those people aren't seeking help, that it would just get worse and maybe the, maybe the, um, seeking help actually kind of maintains its status quo or or is that crazy what I just said? No, no, it's not crazy. Uh, uh, It's true for people who are chronically depressed. They're often suicidal as well. And, you know, they think about suicide quite a bit and, if they're isolated, they're much more likely to be motivated to kill themselves. So although uh, we might be able to, uh, or, you know, although we might not be able to reduce their symptoms in treatment, we're probably able to keep them um, from having a spike in, in motivation for suicide, which is in, okay. in, you know, very important. Okay. I'm going to throw this crazy question out here due to the way the world is right now and the stuff that I'm listening to. And the following online and all this this world of like be yourself and nothing is wrong with me and all this stuff depending on your sex, depending on some people are like trying to – if someone is struggling with that much depression, someone who is so against or cannot be treated uh, – this is going to sound like a super creepy question. 
Is it not humane then to let that person decide what they want to do? If you're living like that, I can't even imagine, first of all. Like I can imagine I, – I know what it feels like to be sad. I can't imagine what it would be like to be always so sad that you just want to kill yourself. As, a, as someone who's a professional in this industry and this is going to sound – would it not just be let them choose and let them just put themselves to sleep or whatever you want to call their uh, – I don't know you call it's that. It's called assisted suicide. Assisted suicide. Is that not is that going to be a thing that we're going to see in the future with people who cannot be treated for depression? We already do see it. Uh, it's obviously controversial um, in the fact that you okay. had a hard time even stating the question. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I had a hard time listening. To it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I've I've uh, given this a lot of thought myself. It's been a while since I've had clients like that. I the sort of clients I've been um, working with more recently. It's more relationship issues and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, but I've, you know, I had clients like this in the past and yeah, it's an important question. You know, a, an adjacent question is uh, someone has brain cancer and they are, they've mm-hmm. done all the treatments and they're definitely going to die within a couple months and mm-hmm. they just don't want to go through the, what they know is going to be pain and sadness and deterioration mm-hmm. and slowly, mm-hmm. you know, becoming breathless and pumped with morphine in the last seconds and then, you know, just sort of drift away and some sort of fit. And they, they want to, they want to take it into their own hands and they, they want to go out with, with dignity and with care and, and they want to save their family from the pain and they want to save themselves from the pain. And, Mm -hmm. you know, each of us has to make a choice as to the morality of that. Um, I, I personally um, support those kinds of explorations, it, it can get dicey at times because for some people, if we're just talking about depression, um, they, uh, the vast majority of people who are determined to kill themselves, the vast majority of those who survive that, that peak or even who attempt, you know, people who jump off the uh, Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and survive, um, the vast majority of them are happy that they survived and are Okay. Um, really quite grateful wow. that they got through that alive. There, there's just something about suicidal motivation that it's transitory. It's um, temporary. And, um, and if you can get people through those difficult times, then um, they will thank you. And so uh, yeah. it's hard to know. Now, let's say you have someone who is chronically, horribly depressed Nothing is working. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people can get so depressed they're delusional. They actually believe they're the devil on the inside, and um, wow. and so um, you know, and they've had electric shock therapy, which is you know uh, another thing that people will try with uh, at a la- as a last resort, and it actually can work with some people. And say so none of those things work, and you're just like you know, it's been forty years, and I have no friends, and I don't want any friends, and I don't, you know, I can't work, and da 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 you know, how do we feel about that? Um, I, I tend to be a, um, individual rights kind of person. And if someone wants to go down that road, I, I don't, cause the question is, should the government make it illegal? That's really a question. Um, right. Exactly. And I just don't think the government should get involved in questions like that. Yeah. That's a hard one specifically as a believer myself, just like a, a you know, as I'm struggling with this in my faith myself and all these issues, uh, what you just described too is what my mother went through. So she had uh, lung cancer and then she went to her brain and she did that. She didn't, she right to the end, they just pumped her full of morphine. I saw her the, the last fit that she took last breath. And it's like, as you said it, it just came so clear to my head. 
my mom was de- definitely depressed too. And she definitely was a fighter at the same time. But I wish as a, as a son, I wish she would have just made the call and was allowed to do it. I think humans specifically away from the government, and this is going to sound like I'm super ultra liberal in this area. I feel like if you want to do something to your body with your body, as long as it doesn't injure or harm anyone else, then I think you should be allowed to do it. I think that that's your choice to make. Cause it's like suicide is not illegal as, as I mean, you can't get arrested for committing suicide or cause you're dead. But I'm saying these choices that you make with your body should be your choices. But the other side of that, the other side of the coin is that you're then your family and people that love you suffer. And that's a, that's a huge one. But what you're saying is true. A lot of people that live with this type of depression, they don't have people and the people that they did have are gone because of yeah just yeah the natural for sure uh and you mentioned that and it's a good thing to mention at this point is i'm sure some people that are listening are thinking this is just like what are you guys talking about i my mother killed herself and she thought Mm -hmm. that it was the right choice and i'm here to tell you like the pain that she put all of us through it, it was completely selfish of her to do that it was mm-hmm. awful yeah. for, for yeah. us and and you know that's all real and uh, these aren't easy questions <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> that's why it's so controversial yeah, there's so exactly. many there's so many angles that you can approach it from to uh, to, to be pro or to be against it's it's that's that's what but, makes it but hear so me out, hard but hear me out here if you are in a position of you're gonna you're terminally ill, yeah. you're gonna die. Yeah. Your family rallies around you as long as everybody's cool with it. I mean, if everybody's prepared and ready, that's almost better. It's almost better to be like as long as people are, they know it's coming. They know it's a lot of suicides hurt a lot of people because then no one sees it coming. But if you if you say, look, I'm calling chronically depressed. I'm bringing everybody in my family down with me. Nobody wants to be around me. How about we have a little talk? And I say, look, I guys, I think the best way for me is to just go out quietly go out without pain um are you cool with this <laughs> yeah but you're <laughs> you know anticipating I mean? a, a perfect world where everybody goes yeah high five and then I, I feel like the people that live with people who are depressed uh people who have like uh these personality disorders and things that are really crazy it's almost like yeah we'd wrestle with it but at the same time you at least you, you have the conversation and if people were on board for it i think you should be allowed to do it and i think the government isn't the government leaning that way i think in canada assisted suicide's fine i'm not sure about the u.s uh, well, we have 50 essential states in our uh, union, and each state has their yeah. own laws. But yeah, things are okay. changing. They're, they're, it's becoming more accepted for sure. But more, more, more over for just terminally ill patients, not people who struggle with depression and stuff. Or is it? Is that part There's of? There's documentaries out there that show is the, the uh, people with depression that are doing Jeez. it. Too. This is so dark. Yeah, this is. <laughs> <laughs> let's okay. Well, let's talk about some like positives. So, so somebody comes in, they are treatable. Right. Let's say, let's give some hope here. Let's talk about people who are like, I think I have a, a mild better depression or I have seasonal depression or it happens to me once or twice a month. Are there drugs? Are there treatments that actually do work that people can come around and like live normally? And like, have there been cases of people just losing their depression? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm glad you're switching gears here. Most of the people <laughs> that I've treated with depression uh, have it, um, you know, have the symptoms completely go away. Uh, because in my, just the clients who have come my way, most people who are depressed uh, are suffering from life circumstances that make them depressed. And when Mm -hmm. we work on their life circumstances, uh, grieve the losses that they've experienced, work on their uh, healing process, process their emotions, get support, um, let their emotions out, the depression goes away. 
these people are not the classically biologically depressed people that we were talking about earlier. There are a lot of reasons why people are depressed. And, and that's one of the things that I um, early in my career uh, didn't realize. But over time, my clients taught me was like most people who are depressed have extremely good reasons for being depressed. And when okay. we work on those reasons, then they, they're not depressed anymore. So again, erase that stigma. Don't be ashamed. Go yeah. get help and start talking about These it. These are the things that you – yeah. Here, I, uh, <laughs> This might sound funny, but as you discuss the, the, what it looks like, what, what some of the red flags and early warning signs of depression are laying around, don't want to get up, don't want to empty your bladder, don't want to take dishes out, every teenager <laughs> – this is going to sound funny. It's not funny, but – how do we know sometimes if a teenager is struggling with depression or they're being a teenager? Teens struggle with depression at a pretty you know, hefty rates, anxiety as well. They're, okay. they're actually more likely okay. to suffer from an anxiety disorder. But um, like um, something like a third of people in North America will be diagnosable with an anxiety disorder at some point in their life, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's probably about 10 or 15% for a major depression. Um, and it's gonna and it's gonna increase as as what you say as technology increases as we become more and more dependent on computers and this world of like like I don't know if you've ever read the book uh, Ready Player yep. One but if you haven't well, the seen the movie that type of movie that type of world that's gonna be uh, it's it's gonna be a perfect storm for depression. Well, it depends because if the virtual reality world actually tricks our brain into thinking we're actually interacting with other human beings or facilitates it somehow, you know. Uh, the main character kid is interacting with Artemis in the VR world, Mm -hmm. you know, probably felt very real to the two of them. Um, They had a real relationship and uh, that could actually, we might be in a zone right now where the video games don't allow for human to human vibes as well as, you know, computer games will in the future. (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, uh, so... Um, what was your question again? <laughs> it's just going to the teenage. So I think a lot of parents will just say, my teenager's being lazy. My teenager's doing this. And I just, it's hard to talk to them. They don't want to talk to me. I think a lot of parents need to find what the red flags are of their teens yeah. actually being depressed. Some people don't, some people just think they're just being a bunch of wankers, but maybe they are depressed. I got, I got, uh, maybe this might help. I actually just watched a Ted talk last okay. week about teenagers yeah. and they were, um, I can't recall the lady who was speaking, but she did say something that it's almost like a natural stage for teenagers to go through. There is more depression, oh, okay. like Dr. Kirk was saying. So it's uh, it's almost like part of development. Am I off on that, Dr. Kirk? Or is that it's something- one way of looking at it. Certainly teenager – I mean the, the thing about being a teenager is – you have all the adult impulses for sex and yeah. recognition mm-hmm. and being on your own and driving fast and whatever. And but you have the emotional coping skills of a 5-year-old and the life of a 5-year-old and the maturity sometimes of a 5-year-old. And so it's a very difficult time emotionally. Um I don't know about you, but at, as I'm approaching 50 years old, I am so much more emotionally stable than I've ever been. Um, and when I was a teenager, you know, it was ups and downs. So, so just, you know, that's part of it. Now, we wouldn't necessarily call that depression. We'd call that emotional ups and downs. Um, can okay. people become depressed in their teenage years? Absolutely. But for people to qualify course, yeah. for the major depressive disorder, they, they really have to rise to a, a certain level. 
The other thing here is that uh, teenagers can, uh, for various reasons, developmentally, just want to isolate themselves from their parents. And uh, with their friends, they might be quite free emotionally. But around their parents, they might just be the sort. It's just like, leave me alone, you know, because they they associate Mm -hmm. parents with rules and, you know, doing homework. And um, there's just a lot of reasons why teenagers go into that phase, um, which can be, you know, normal. It's not necessarily something you should ignore as a parent. Um, You should do what you can. Um, But uh, so it can look like depression, but not actually be depression. Uh, having said that, a lot of people will uh, kill themselves w- when they're not depressed. So we don't necessarily have to look for depression for risk of suicide. They are linked, but it's not necessarily the case. So, you know, some people can kill themselves because they were being bullied and they're not depressed, but they just feel yeah. like their life sucks or they just yeah. got dumped by their very first love and they they genuinely feel like their life is over and they might as well end it now. So uh, there's just a lot of things to look out for. And so the signs are, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the sort of the joke about it is like um, the, the classic signs of being a teenager are the classic signs of suicide, you know, isolation, irritable, yeah. not doing well in school, um, using substances, yeah. a change in friends or isolation, you know, change in sleep, diet. You know, teenagers do that kind of on a weekly basis. So it makes it really hard. The key is, is that you, from day one, you just try to foster an open relationship, uh, a way of communicating about emotions with your kids. Because, you know, the teenager doesn't want to die typically, and they want to reach out to people, and they actually really want to reach out to their parents or their family members. And if you have that. Yep open relationship prior to them entering those difficult years, then they're much more likely to reach out to you. And that's the, the bond. You've been saying that to us for every episode. I guess right? so. It's the yeah. bond. It's, yeah, it's really, yeah. it's like yeah. the most important no, it's thing. it's good. Drive it, it home. It, I think we're dumb. Yeah, it, driving that point home is like everything, again, you talk about the, the, this idea of the Kenya families and people who don't have technology to bog them down and they're not so busy with everything. Like I, I did a documentary on a family that lived there. And basically what this family does, they wake up in the morning, they eat their mullet grain or whatever you call it, like porridge. They go to school. The mom then takes care of the chickens or whatever. It's not, They don't have anything to do. And it's like they, they're the happiest people I've ever seen. Yeah. But they, they have nothing. To us, they have nothing to do. But to them, they have a lot to do. You know, yeah, they, they play yeah, games. They, they joke around. They dance around. They kick a soccer ball. They, yeah. oh, they can dance. Like <laughs> I want to be able to dance like that. So yeah. good. Uh yeah. Okay, so that's yeah. I mean, that's that to me. This so uh, just specifically for parents who, for dads who struggle with depression out there, like for guys listening to our podcast, Doctor Kirk, t- t- a dad doesn't know what what to do at this point. He's he's driving his car right now. He's listening to his podcast. He thinks he has something. What does he do? Like, I know you can listen to a podcast, but like, truly, what are some steps? Like, do you is it just a therapist? Is it do you just reach out to a friend? What would you suggest right off the top? Just do this right now. Yeah, make an appointment with a therapist. Um, the uh, there are so many therapists out there who have an open spot. <laughs> it's hard to find them, though. <laughs> is the thing. The best case, yeah. the best thing you can do is go to your insurance and just talk to someone. Worst case scenario, yeah. you meet a therapist and they're worthless. They're dumb or stupid or weird or, you know, just not a good fit. 
Sometimes you just don't yeah. hit it off. Yeah, yeah. sometimes you yeah. just don't. And yeah. it's a waste of two hours. Um, how many two hours have you wasted? You know, because there's a half hour drive to the therapist, hour in the office, half hour back. Right. How many two mm-hmm. hours have you wasted in your life? You know, like uh, the only reason why you out there are not going to do that is because of stigma and man up against the stigma. That's Ooh, true. Yeah. Got man up, dude. You got, got chills. chills. Dr. Kirk's voice saying man up. I'm like, I'm in. Man I'm up. going. Man up to the stigma. That's great. Um, okay. Can I take one more yeah, step out it. of the darkness? Do it. Can, do. Uh, so now so now we're getting somebody help that needs the help. Okay, I want to know what can we do to uh, protect ourselves and protect our families before we even get to that? Is there something that we can do even when we're healthy to uh, ensure that we're – not ensure, but to help prevent us uh, going down that uh, depression mental health road? Yeah. Again, bond stuff. But to get specific, it's um, – like it's contact. Like your kid is playing Fortnite again. Um, you know, just oh, you? I'm depressed now. <laughs> uh, just hang out in the room while he plays Fortnite. You know, and try to be as non-annoying as possible. Um, <laughs> and you know, not the whole time. You know, ten, twenty minutes. Uh, you're driving him to school. Um, instead of listening to podcasts, you, you just, you just chat, you know, and you get to know the kind of stuff your kid likes to talk about. Maybe it's Fortnite. Um, and, and you, uh, have that dialogue and again, it, it just builds on itself, that repertoire and that connection. And one, they're more likely to reach out to you when, when they have that kind of openness and that bond, but also you'll notice things more quickly. It'll just be like, you know, um, like a depressed kid might not play Fortnite. You know, a, a sign of depression might be they don't enjoy Fortnite anymore. And you could say, I've, you know, I'm, I've noticed you haven't been playing Fortnite, you know, and you've just been kind of looking at stuff on your laptop all day. So, you know, how, how you doing? How you feeling? Um, mm-hmm. That's important. And having that uh, connection is not only uh, good for detecting and, you know, being able to intervene when necessary, but it also will protect them from mental illness to begin with. That's really cool. You said something really awesome there. It's something that I don't think Jeff and I have ever even thought about or talked about. We need to sit down with our kids and play Fortnite with yeah. them. We'll suck really bad and we'll lose and that's good for them because they're like, you suck and they can make fun of us and that's great. We've never even thought about, I've never, maybe I, I have never thought about just sitting down and watching him play. I've it's something it. he's passionate about. I've done it. It doesn't, and they don't want you there. No, they liked it. Oh, they did. Yeah. I got the, I picked the outfit and I let them go. <laughs> I didn't play, but I, I've done it. So you've done it. That's, yeah. And actually you kind of chat and, yeah. and hear actually what they're saying. And their friends didn't even seem to care all that much. They're just chatting away. They say hi to me. Cause you can hear through the, yeah, the yeah. thing. Yeah. I've actually done it. Not calling your, your mama. <laughs> dad's in the room don't call no, my mom they probably say that beforehand <laughs> that's awesome okay well i mean I, I i this was a dark this was a dark route um but as christmas comes up and things we just really wanted to talk about and destigmatizing and like again the end game is to man up and take care of yourself because when you're healthy your family's healthy that's right hey dr kirk can i give you uh, an update on yeah something? i'd love it yeah, check this out because this is something you taught me. So, and it's actually a good thing. We, uh, Josh and I, have been doing a little bit lately. Uh, good news, bad news uh, with the kids and stuff as we talk. But anyways, uh, the other day, uh, my kid was actually just in a car accident. He wasn't driving, but he uh, he was in the passenger seat and he got hit. He got the the worst of the injuries, even though they're not too terrible. Yeah. Um, but he couldn't work this week because ribs are bruised. He's got a sore elbow and uh, not doing well. He's a lifeguard, so. Um, 
he then came to us midway through the week in the morning as we were sitting there having coffee, my wife and I together, and he said that he was going to play volleyball that night, which we thought was kind of odd because he took the week off of work. So our initial reaction was, well, if you're playing volleyball, you're going to work. And when we said that, he left the room kind of upset. So we let it uh, de-escalate. And here's the um, how fast you recover. That night I picked him up from school uh, when he was done volleyball. And I said, hey, how did the game go? He told me. And uh, I said, I'm just curious. I said, you know, why? I asked him the question. I said, why did you choose to play volleyball, but you're not going to work? And when I approached it that way, he actually answered me. And he said, dad, when I go to work, if I'm a lifeguard, he said, if a 300 pound guy jumps in the water and I have to get him out, he goes, how can I, if I'm injured, be confident that I can do that? He said, with volleyball, like there's no life on the line, right? Also, he's hurt. And and he actually told me, he did get sore and he pulled himself out of the game. Yeah. So <laughs> I opening for me, I actually said to him, I said, that's a very good reason. <laughs> and it was over yeah. and we were good. <laughs> so recovery, I didn't stay yeah. mad, even though he kind of stormed away. So thank you for that, Dr. Kirk. That's yeah. my report on good news uh, this week. And it was Dr. Kirk's advice. Dr. Today. Kirk, man, he's the bomb. He's the bomb diggity fresh. Well, good for you, Jeff. That's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, there's so many elements to that. One is that you love your family enough and dedicated enough to change years of uh, uh, impulse and, and reactivity. I that, didn't necessarily change it. But yeah, sure you did. <laughs> I did good this day. Yeah, and, and in the moment. And, uh, you know, yeah. things that were modeled to you, perhaps, growing up, that, that were probably modeled to him when he was growing up, your dad. I mean, this is the Dad Challenge podcast. You you wrote to the you yeah. rose to the challenge, and and then and yeah. it's its own reward, right? Because you walked away from that situation more bonded. He, your son, feels more heard. The next time he has a problem, he won't storm out of the room because he'll be like, "Okay, skip to step, you know, F here, and I'll just tell yeah. them." Yeah. Um, by the yeah. way, let me explain it to you. Um, and uh, yeah, what a what a wonderful you know, turn of events. It's great. That's awesome. And, and subsequent to that is the last few days since then have actually been quite nice. Like interactions have been quite nice. So it's, it's helping actually. Yeah. It's really good. Anyway. Okay. Well, that's been amazing. It's been amazing. Dr. Craig. I'm so happy that we had you for this one. This was a dark one, but this is something we needed to cover next one. We have you on, let's do something funny. I don't, let's talk about movies or something. I don't want to talk about like killing yourself and stuff. Yeah. Or like (laughs) gross man sounds or something. Yeah. Let's oh no, about- Trish says we can't talk about gross man sounds. No, but bad. let's do it. We're doing Doctor Kirk. You know what? That's going in. We, that's got to be our opening. Doctor Kirk, Kirk says let's talk to. about gross <laughs> man sounds. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Doctor Kirk. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a good, it's always a blast. 